We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. March has arrived and we're only weeks away from the big tournament. Yes, that tournament. Make sure to head to Bet Online and open an account today to get in on their $100,000 Bracket Madness Contest starting March 15th. That's right, I said $100,000 in March 15th. You don't need to be hardcore to get in on the action. With multiple entries available, it's the season's best chance to cash in. And remember, the NBA and XFL are still going strong. So whatever your passion is, BetOnline is the place to be for all your betting needs. Visit our good friends and exclusive partner, Bet online to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account. Make sure to use that promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for your 50% sign-up bonus. Bet online, your online sportsbooks experts. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. And this episode is brought to you by Untucket and BetOnline.ag. But, Jack, how are we doing? The Jacques Vaughn era begins with a win. It did. The Nets won today, 110-107 against Chicago. It was not pretty, but they did get the W. Before we get into it, though, quick reminder, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. Make sure to check out the last episode. Jack and I dove in deep on the departure of Kenny Atkinson. But, Jack, where should we get started? We should get started with the DeAndre and Jordan starting, Nick. And I'm going to throw a question at you. I've seen this literally via a tweet on Twitter. Tweet on Twitter. Where else are they going to be? <laughs> uh, that someone is calling Jacques Vaughn a puppet for starting DeAndre Jordan. Is Jacques Vaughn already a puppet of the you know newly signed free agent trio? I mean, in, to some extent, he's an interim head coach. So he was always going to kind of be a puppet unless he felt really confident and he was going to change things. But being part of Kenny Atkinson's staff, you know, he wasn't going to change much. And I'm sure Sean Marks, you know, had input and maybe players had input. And 
I mean, he could easily be the puppet. I thought the DeAndre swap, even though in like big picture, a lot of people hated it. I didn't think it was the worst thing ever because, you know, DeAndre's probably been better than Jared Allen over the last month. And DeAndre provides a little bit of a different, provides different things than Jared Allen does. Even though their main skills are still the same in terms of rim running and rim protection, you know, DeAndre has a little bit more in that passing game and he just has a little bit more veteran experience when obviously Jared Allen is more athletic, quicker, and can defend better on the perimeter. Tonight, DeAndre Jordan, 29 minutes, 4 or 5 from the field, 11 points, 15 boards, 4 assists, 3 blocks. Seemed to make an impact. Seemed to me the, the decision was somewhat justified. Yeah, I don't think, and like we've known this, and you know, the national media is going to make a bigger deal out of it than it is. For the most part, DeAndre and Jared Allen have really split minutes this season. And depending on who's yeah. playing better that game, they were getting more minutes or, you know, closing that game. So I think it's just kind of a little bit overexposed or just people trying to make a big deal because Kenny was just let go. And now Jock Vaughn's first move is to change the starting lineup. And, and then there was a report from Zach Lowe saying DeAndre not starting was a small issue for Kenny Atkinson and the relationship between him and the veterans on the team. Interesting. Well, how was Jared Allen then in his 19 minutes? He went four or five from the field as well, 11 points, uh, six boards for him, had a dime, had a block as well. 20, so the, the, essentially the 48 minutes were made up between them and we've sort of seen the reverse of that for a lot throughout the season. Do you think this is going to be a consistent decision from Jacques Vaughn? Is it going to be a mix, mix and match going forward? Yeah, I think so. I think um, whoever plays better should get more minutes. And like we've kind of talked about, I think going to the season, Jared Allen's the better player. But DeAndre can have uh, better abilities in certain matchups. And we see that sometimes. And he's more of a physical presence. And I would argue, and I've talked to some people on Nets Twitter, where Jared Allen's kind of been in a funk this last month. And maybe it's some fatigue. You know, he is a smaller guy. It's getting later in the season. We've seen this happen to him before. Or maybe he's dealing with a minor injury that they haven't really talked about. I thought Jared Allen was solid today. I didn't think he was, you know, extremely good or anything like that. You could tell he started off a little bit nervous off the bench. I think he had a turnover or dropped the pass or whatever it might be. But then he started to pick it up and kind of got into it a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly going to be a storyline that we'll watch throughout the season, as will the national media and the non-Nets people that probably don't have as much expertise as Nets Twitter and as we do. But Nick, the, the starters overall seem to be really cohesive and make a good impact on the game. All of them were positive in the plus-minus. Yeah, I like the ball movement. I like the off-ball movement from the starters. You know, I think Joe Harris got really involved in this game. DeAndre and him have a nice connection on the handoffs, and that led to Joe getting a couple open threes. Also, having DeAndre have the ball at the top of the post or sometimes even by the three-point line, having the option for the handoff just pulls the center that much farther away from the rim, allowing Joe to get some of those lands or other players on the team. Yeah, Joey Buckets, 3 of 7 from 3, 8 of 12 from the field, 23 points, had a dime, had some boards as well. Four turnovers, not necessarily the thing you want to see, but you know the Nets overall, the, the big issue was 28 turnovers, Nick. Was that the Bulls' defense? We know the Bulls like to play a certain style of blitzing defense where they double the ball handler. Was it poor Nets play? Was it good, Nets, uh, good Bulls' defense? Or what was it that caused such a high number? We'll give the Bulls credit for about 14 of the turnovers because I think they created some of them with the double teams they had off the pick and roll, especially on Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie at times. Even Joe Harris got caught up in between. Then I would say some of it was on the Nets for just having careless turnovers. And then during the first couple minutes of this game or the first quarter, they had to change the ball because it was really slippery and both teams ended huh. up having a couple turnovers off it. Jacques Vaughn mentioned it as something that you don't typically see, but it seemed like both, both players on both teams were really happy when they changed the ball. Yeah, very interesting. The, yeah, the two I have guys, never talked about, we've never talked about that on the podcast ever, so that's the first time that we ever discussed changing the ball mid-game or first I've, I've. It sounds like something you do in tennis. You generally <laughs> yeah. change balls. 
So it's uh, not just something you hear in a basketball game. But the two guards, our two best players, Nick, uh, two best healthy players, both played really well. Spencer Dimwitty, 24 points, 14 of 15 from the free throw line. Really nice to see that number. Had six times, six turnovers, but, you know, Carol Severt had his share of turnovers as well. Carol Severt, 23 points, four of six from three, seven of 14 from the field, another five dimes to himself. Both of those guys combined really well, nicely. Yeah, it was a great game for both these guys. I think Karras, this was probably one of his best shooting games ever because, like, typically you see the stat line at 23 points. You're seeing, thinking he got a lot of his buckets inside, but really he was great from the perimeter, and he had a couple killer crossover step-back threes. You know, he hit a couple elbow jump shots. Really liked the game from Karras. Nice efficiency, like you mentioned. Other than the turnovers, you want to clean that up, but it, was, it wasn't just, you know, a guard issue. It was a team issue. It was Spencer. I liked his driving ability in this game. Drove to the rim, got a lot of foul calls. He wasn't able to finish the and ones as he would have liked, but I still thought it was a solid game. And I like the fact that he was resilient attacking the rim. Even at first, he wasn't getting the calls. He made them make the calls. Do these games, Nick, give you confidence going forward that maybe the Nets don't necessarily need to make a trade for an Aaron Gordon, a Bradley Beal, the, the guys that we've spoken about in this podcast, and that Spencer and Karras can work alongside KD and Kyrie? Yeah, I think it's always been a possibility. And I think at the worst, it's a really good backup plan. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like maybe yeah. you think uh, trading one of these guys and getting help at the four position or, you know, maybe the forward position or whatever it might be on this team could really help and take them to the next step because you want to have your talent distributed, you know, differently across the roster. But if not, you know, I think both these guys have proven to be at least fringe all-star players. Yeah, definitely. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie was on the verge of it. Karis Levert last year was certainly on the verge of it, and he's been playing out of his mind of like maybe even career best basketball. But Nick, what might get player of the week? Do you think he'll get it? I think he has a really good shot. I mean, he had two career games. He had the 51-point game, the 37 points in the fourth in overtime, and then having the 27-point triple-double, and your team goes 3-1. and I don't know if they include Sunday. If not, you know, his team went 2-1. and I think it's a possibility. Yeah, I mean, he's been ridiculous in terms of how he's been impacting this team. But let's get to the bench, Nick. Not necessarily, they all combine. Jared Allen top scored with 11 points. Torian Prince, despite having 29 minutes on his best game, TLC. Uh, Theo Pinson got some junk time minutes. Chioza, you know, was fine enough, I guess. But what were the takeaways from the bench, if any? I think another solid outing for Chioza. You know, he had one play in this game where he just put the Jets on and he was clearly the fastest player on the court and it kind of caught everybody off guard. It was a really nice play. He had a nice fake in this game. I think you appreciate his fat passing. Obviously, you know, the height is an issue at times going switching on the certain players, but I like what he brings to the team. TLC was in foul trouble. I want to say he had like three fouls in the first or early second quarter. He's just kind of struggling. He had the late game turnover with Jock Vaughn elected to put him in the game with like 10 seconds left. He turned it over, gave Chicago an opportunity to tie the game. They missed a shot luckily but wasn't really a great game from the bench Jared Allen was probably the best guy and Torian Prince missed a ton of shots he did hit his free throws and he did hit a clutch bucket at the end of the game but other than that not a great performance from Prince no 29 minutes seven points did hit like you said his free throws five and five from there did rebound the ball nicely nine boards there one offensive board had a couple of steals had a dime to you know five turnovers five fouls not necessarily a stat line that you want to see from Torian Prince but you know he's going to have to adjust to this new role if he's going to continue to come off the bench but Nick the the Nets closed this one out and they closed it out and because you you told me it was a bit of a, a weird game of sorts but did you expect the Nets to the Nets to close this one out in, in more convincing fashion did they have the momentum speaking overall i guess as the game as as a whole 
Yeah, they started to get really lax in like the last two minutes of the game. They were up like, excuse me, eight to ten points, and then they just started allowing Chicago to hit threes, had a couple dumb fouls. Next thing you know, it's a three-point game, and Chicago had an opportunity to tie it and force overtime. It didn't happen. So you still want to see those issues cleaned up. I think the Nets were in control of the game majority of the time. It's just getting lax in that last quarter, allowing the Bulls to score 37 points in the fourth quarter after you held them to under 27 the first three quarters. You know, that's pretty uh, disappointing. Yeah, and I mean, we know the Bulls can get hot. They've got some offensive talent guys that can certainly, you know, they're bucket getters in, in some ways. And, you know, Otto Porter has been really good since he's come back. But any other takeaways from this one, Nick, before we get to some more of that coaching fallout? And again, guys, check out that Evergreen podcast that we put out the other day. 80 minutes of Coach Kenny, you know, analysis. You won't get much better than that. But Ever wonder why button-ups look so long and baggy? That's because they were never meant to be worn that way. Untucked shirts were specifically designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, their shirts are the perfect untucked length. With more than 50 fit combinations, Untucked shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. Don't just take my word for it. Try Untucked for yourself. Visit Untucked.com. Use code BLUEWIRE for 20% off your first order. They even offer free shipping and returns on all orders in the U.S. That's on Tuckit.com and promo code BLUEWIRE for 20% off your first order. Anything else from this game, Nick, before we get to some more of the Coach Kenny news? Yeah, I would just say with the turnovers, if this is an 18 turnover game, the Nets are winning this in probably a blowout fashion. You know, the Bulls literally shot 28 more field goals than the Nets, which seems ridiculous considering they both shot a pretty similar percentage. Obviously, the Nets won the battle at the free throw line. They shot 41 attempts, Chicago 25, but some of that was due to Chicago playing the foul game. Uh, a little bit earlier in the fourth quarter than usual. And then I just bring up the point that the Nets were switching more defensively in this game than we've seen them do it in the past. You know, we saw a lot of perimeter switches. Good communication for the first three quarters. And like Jacques Vaughn mentioned, in that fourth quarter, they started getting lax. And that's when they stopped communicating. Chicago was getting some open threes and there was just some bad defensive plays. But when they communicate and switch, you saw something different from this Nets defense. Not saying it was elite or anything like that, but you see the potential of it. Well, yeah, we know switching style of defenses, you know, they matter. And when it comes to the playoffs, it is essentially the, the way you are going to win games. And it is modern defense. And, you know, the Nets at times haven't been playing the most modern of defense. They've been quite stringent and, and rigid and at times with, with Coach Kenny in terms of some of the ways that they play. It's similar to, you know, how Mike Budenhoser occasionally does it. And, you know, he gets criticized for his lack of adjustments too at times. So, you know, Jacques Vaughn making those minor changes. What would, if, if you're giving him a grade over, rule nick from game one what does jacques vaughn get i mean i think it was probably a c because there wasn't like a good game it wasn't a bad game like i referenced that tlc substitution almost cost and that's the game so that was disappointing i will give him a a plus note for subbing spencer in early in the fourth quarter where it looked like chicago was going to make a comeback where he got subbed in around the 10 minute mark which is a little bit sooner than what we typically see for him and i felt like that was something we were advocating for Kenny Atkinson to do was just change up the rotation when it was necessary for your team when you know the other team the opposing team was going on a run. Not saying that you know Jacques Vaughn's a better coach or anything like that. I just like that small adjustment he made. But like I mentioned, that TLC move wasn't great, and just think it was like kind of an incomplete game because it's it's one game. The departure happened yesterday. They're essentially going to run almost exactly the same stuff they've been running for the last you know six months. 
Yeah, no doubt. But, you know, riding Spencer Dinwiddie, Carlos Avert a little bit more, 37 minutes for both of them, 31 for Joe Harris. You know, I would be remiss to think that I would say there's only a handful of games I could probably count that where Spencer Dinwiddie plays 35-plus minutes. Same with Carlos Avert. So, Especially you know, together. If it's yeah, not an overtime game, yeah. I'm not sure we've seen that all season. Yep, definitely, definitely. But, Nick, we'll get to our former coach. And Yahoo Sports has reported that Kenny pushed for the parting just as much, if not more than Brooklyn. You know, I think that the rumor was that he wasn't comfortable necessarily or didn't really have the desire to coach the two superstars heading into next season. How much do you buy into that? Is there some truth in it? I mean, it makes you feel a little bit better about, you know, Sean Marks' statement in his press conferences. If this is coming from maybe Kenny's side a little bit or another net source, I'm not really sure. I think maybe they just understood that this fit wasn't going to work or maybe Kenny wasn't ready to deal with these type of players yet. We mentioned he's still a young coach in this league and he's still developing. Or maybe he already felt the tension between them or the lack of respect for him like we kind of discussed on the last show. So I think there's probably different factors that led to maybe Kenny not wanting to be the coach of a team that was led by Kyrie and KD. Yeah, I mean, I... I, uh, yesterday when I had you know people texting me and we were chatting to each other and people were listening to the pod and such, it was like, I always was like, well, I wanted Coach Kenny to have the opportunity to do it. But it seems to me that he didn't, at least in some part, wasn't comfortable with that. And I think that, like you mentioned, Sean Marks' statement about a mutual parting seems to me you know, to hold probably more truth than probably people have thought. And I always thought that there was a, an amicability and, and respect, a mutual respect with this organization and, and between those two parties more than any other. So I guess it does make a lot of sense. I'm not sure how much of it is true, but there has to be at least some shred of truth to it as well. But Nick, should we get to the fact that Kyrie Irving has already picked his new coach? <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, well, that was reported in the Yahoo report. And then uh, Brandon Scoop Robinson reported that he does not have a preference for coach and the Ty Lue thing is nonsense. Okay, so, well, Yahoo Sports did report that Kyrie Irving prefers Tyrone Lou for the Nets. Though, again, we chatted about this on the on the podcast that we recorded yesterday quite extensively. We spoke about Ty Lou and the fact that, you know, I, I, we, we were just like, well, doesn't Kyrie actually not have the best relationship? And, you know, you put on the OTG Twitter the fact that when as soon as you search up Kyrie Irving, Tyrone Lou, it's like, you know, that they don't have a great relationship. But, you know, time heals all wounds at the end of the day. And I think that Ty Lou is probably one of a few coaches, and we spoke about an extensive amount of coaches on that last podcast if you want some more analysis on that. But I certainly think Ty Lou is in the running. And in terms of the coaches available that have championship pedigree, have you know uh, have a pedigree in terms of managing superstars and and dealing with the sort of ego and you know to quote you know Spencer Dinwiddie alpha dog and alpha male sort of environment I think Ty Lue has proven that he can do that I'm not sure as a game to game coach he he gets he, I don't think he got a lot of credit for what he did in Cleveland and I think he is quite a good coach in terms of the X's and O's I think he is overall a better coach than Kenny Atkinson and if he were to become the coach I wouldn't be disappointed but. You know, there's all obviously the talk of, of the guys that we did mention as well. But, you know, maybe we listen to Brennan Scoop Robinson as well, because he has also provided, you know, a little bit of Nets intel that has been true. All the rumors are going to fly Especially around, on Nick. the Kyrie front. I mean, like, yep. Brennan Scoop Robinson isn't necessarily the most trustworthy reporter in my eyes. He hasn't got to that point yet in the NBA media world. But he did have some information on the Kyrie injury before anyone else did have it. So I think we have to at least put some credence in what he's reporting. What... 
in terms of your opinion, I gave my sort of opinion on if Ty Lula were to become the coach of this team, I would not be upset. What are your opinions on Ty Lula as a head coach? I think it's, like you kind of mentioned, it's almost extremely difficult to figure out if he's a good head coach or a bad head coach or how much he actually did with that Cleveland team because at the end of the day, it was a LeBron-led team. And as much as people want to say LeBron doesn't have an impact on what's happening on the court, LeBron has all the impact on what's happening on the court. And obviously, it was a historical performance by both LeBron and Kyrie Irving in that, you know, comeback from 3-1 against Golden State. So I think some of it, you know, goes to the players. Some of it goes to Ty Lue. I'm not sure if I would say he's a, a substantially better coach than, you know, Kenny Atkinson. He might have more playoff experience, but I would probably peg them pretty close to each other in, unless there's just more that I don't know. Like, it's just really hard to separate coaching in really good players. And But at the end of the day, like you mentioned, Jack, he has won a championship. He has done some really good things in the postseason, and he's dealt with superstar players before. So I think that automatically kind of makes him a candidate if him and Kyrie are cool now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's uh, that's certainly probably a, a key takeaway and a key point and something that we will be watching. One thing I wanted to end with, though, Nick, is... We're seeing a lot of leaks from this from the Nets organization that we don't normally see. And, you know, it, normally the Nets are quite tight-lipped and things certainly don't come out. But now we see Woj and Shams and now Yahoo Sports, Brandon Scoop Robinson, these sort of guys dropping articles and little tidbits here and there. What are your general thoughts on now the Nets sort of being this organization that we see rumors from that we generally haven't really speculated about in the past when we have recorded the buzz? Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I think anytime, though, there is more big-name players in your organization, there becomes more leaks because everything becomes that much more valuable. Not saying no one was interested in the Nets over the last three years, but there's definitely double the interest now that Kyrie and Katie are involved, and that's what happens when you become a more relevant team. There's just going to be more talk about you, and people are going to want more answers. So they're going to kind of have to almost leak more, especially with a situation as strange as yesterday or Saturday or yesterday. My time is all messed up. But you, Uh, (laughs) you don't typically see a head coach of a playoff team who's in the postseason running that didn't have crazy expectations for this year because of the injuries depart at the time that he did so I think just the the entire situation is different than what we're used to it's different but you know it provides us good content and you know, I, I enjoy speaking about the rumors. You know, I know it's probably better for, you know, the JBT and, and the outlet in terms of t- speaking about the general NBA. But when it pertains to our team, give us that content because, you know, I like talking about the games, but also like talking about them rumors and, you know, speculating about what could be happening within this team. It's uh, going to be a fun few months because I think we're going to be speaking more and more about this. We may get more tricklings that come out. And I got two quotes we- actually from DeAndre right now if you want to hear them. Go. Guys, give it to me. This is post-game. DeAndre on reports that Kyrie and Katie pushed Kenny out. It's bullshit. DeAndre said it definitely shocked him about Atkinson's uh, departure. I thought Kenny did a great job with us. With us. And then the reporter uh, re- mentioned that he's definitely pushing back the narrative that Kyrie and Katie got rid of Atkinson. Well, yeah, we spoke about that in the sense that, and I'm sure Mark's mentioned that he's like, they had as much influence as the 17 other players on this roster. I, I don't think that it's true. I think that there is an element of, we, I, I spoke about that I thought it was Joseph Sy. I thought Joseph Sy was the overriding element and maybe the players swaying Joseph Sy to the fact that, 
or I think that the you can't nail it down to necessarily one fact. We've heard yeah. now that Coach Kenny doesn't didn't necessarily want to be there, so he's having conversation with Sean Marks. Joseph Sy, obviously the owner, the big boss, is going to be making those decisions. Players probably somewhat disgruntled in some sense of the imagination. Kenny himself saying that his voice wasn't having an impact. All of these myriad of factors led to Kenny leaving, Kenny getting fired, whatever you want to call it. Him not being the coach of the Brooklyn Nets at the end of the day. And as shocking as it is, and literally every person that I've spoken to, including JBT, Nick, that I'll be speaking to later today about it, is shocked about it. And I think that once we have processed it, I mean, it's easier for us because we dive deep into Nets news on a daily basis. We record episodes, you know, every few days of the week. There aren't many podcasts that do that, let alone on a team podcast. So for us, it's easier to comprehend and to piece it all together because we get the opportunity to speak about it for half an hour, 80 minutes, mind you, when we spoke about Kenny Atkinson yesterday. So for me, it's a, it doesn't have the same gravity as it did. But now piecing these things together, as the rumors do trickle out, at the end of the day, I think Coach Kenny did want it. He's going to get a payout. He's going to get a job elsewhere. Who knows we can hypothesize what Coach Kenny could have done with this team. But at the end of the day, there were rumors saying, and that we've just spoken about, that maybe he didn't want to coach this team. So you take all of that with a grain of salt and you sort of put it all together and go, look, we can only speculate at, We can only speculate and talk about it. But we also, you know, at the end of the day, we talk about what Jacques Vaughn is doing now. We talk about what maybe Tyron Lue will do, Popovich, D'Antoni, these guys. Yeah, 100%, Jack. And I think... You're hearing just a lot of takes from the national media, the NBA media, whatever you want to call it, about the Nets. And to be honest, a lot of them don't have educated takes. And I think for a lot of fans, there was always the anticipation that Kenny might be let go this summer or at some point next season because you could just feel maybe he wasn't ready for this. And a lot of people are just, you know, continually put out there, you know, Kenny Atkinson, such a great coach, and that's sort of overachieved. But it's dealing with a different group of guys, and it's just a different situation, and people don't really want to accept that. And not to mention, like you mentioned, we recapped so many games over this last, you know, week or two-week stretch. There was a lot of games where you could think that a coach maybe lost a locker room, getting blown out by the Atlanta Hawks, getting blown out by the Memphis Grizzlies, and almost being blown out by the Celtics. Luckily, Karis LeVert saved them. But three big blowout, blowout losses in one week for a playoff team is not something you want to see. Not at all. Not at all. And at the end of the day, you know, what is done is done. We will probably continue to speculate any rumors and news that do come out on the buzz. But, you know, at the end of the day, the Nets won a game today. That helps. That solidifies the seventh spot. And next season, we're going to continue to speculate and hypothesize because... We're lucky. We get a podcast to do it on it. I got one last question for you, Jack. Do yeah. you think the Nets should embrace being like the villains? Embrace being the bad guy? And like they've been kind of like on the fence of being the good guy, the bad guy. And like everyone is starting to hate the Nets from, you know, a media perspective, a fan perspective, you know, all the KD, Kyrie narratives. Should they just go all in and be like, okay, we'll be the villains? Um, that's an interesting question, Nick. I think that at the end of the day, the I can't Nets take full form... credit for it either. I've been seeing people talk about it on Twitter. Okay, well, Nets Twitter, thank you very much. Um, in general, I think the Nets identity will form itself organically. And, you know, we know KD has been had in the history of being the snake, the villain. Kyrie Irving is one of the more hated superstars for reasons unbeknownst to me. Well, they are known, but they are a little bit silly in, in that regard. So I think that there could be a time where they sort of go all in on it. I, I think Spence would probably make a, an awesome villain. I mean, I know he loves his Iron Man, but he wouldn't do a, a bad Thanos or Loki 
at the end of the day either. So, but it's, I think the team's identity, the team's culture, all these sort of things that are, are a little bit intangible will happen as as the team gels and they'll, they'll just happen within itself and they'll happen within, you know, not necessarily going, all right, we're the bad guy now. Like we're the Golden State Warriors. Everyone hates us. 73 and nine. We don't care. We're the best. I think to be a villain of sorts, you have to have something behind you to sort of yeah. make you a villain. The Nets right now, I've always been that sort of darling team. Now we've got the superstars. We've sort of kicked out our coach. There isn't a villainous element to us, but I think villains are the best villains are always the ones that have some wins and championships behind them. You know, people hate LeBron for the, the fact that he's just such a superstar and stud. People hate Steph Curry for some reason because of, you know, the fact that he's just winning, 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 winning. So for me, it's that's it at the end of the day. Yeah, I agree, Jack. I think you need to win games and you need to almost not say make people hate you, but give them a reason to kind of hate you more than just the off the court stuff. Because I think there's plenty of narratives that are kind of making the net seem like, oh, they were this fun, you know, darling in the NBA. And now they're more serious and everyone doesn't like them anymore because they're not that fun little we don't have to take you serious type of team. Yeah, that's it at the end of the day. So, but uh, actually, let me throw out one more question. I don't know. I'm in a Nets mood. Uh, do you? Sorry. We. I saw a lot of this on Twitter today, especially like from the national media. Do you think now what's the probability that Jared Allen is traded this summer? Yeah, that was one I was going to bring up as well. It, it certainly is increasing for me, Nick. But in there has to be some sort of package back that is, you know, whether it's part of a superstar package or whatever. I don't think it's worth trading Jared Allen for some other sort of veteran center because I think you can. Jared Allen is going to improve. A veteran center isn't. And if the 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 era with KD and Kyrie falls apart, we've at least still got some young guys on the roster that we can sort of, you know, build around a little bit. So there is there's an increasing likelihood for me of late, but I still am not that high on it if unless there were to be a really serviceable package in return. I agree. I think people are overreacting in the sense that thinking the Nets need to trade him this offseason. There's no real push. He's still a restricted free agent after next season. The Nets could always work a sign and trade, or they could just eat the money and keep the asset. You know, he might ask for a trade, but no disrespect to Jared Allen, he doesn't have that type of power in the NBA to get a trade. So, and I don't think he would, anyways. And it's a luxury having another guy. And at the end of the day, DeAndre might be the starter for the next two years. He's on a four-year contract. Jared Allen will 100% be better than DeAndre Jordan after these next two seasons, and it probably won't be that close. Oh, of course. You know, when you're age 31 or however old DeAndre Jordan is, he, the, his prime is past him. Jared yeah. Allen's prime is in front of him. That, that's, and for people that don't acknowledge that, that's just stupidity and irrationality at the highest form. But certainly something to keep an eye on. Plenty of storylines to keep an eye on with this Brooklyn Nets team, Nick. And at the end of the day, we'll keep analyzing those games too. 100%. Jack, always a pleasure. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website 
are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.